Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And this is No Limits, of Mitrap podcast. So what you cooking this week, Mike? You know me. There's only one answer, and it's pizza. Pizza, man. I'm actually making quite a few pies for my wife, Rosie, and her friends. We're going to drop them off this weekend while they're all hanging out. So uh, love getting the pizzas going. I got my special outdoor oven. I got a baking steel on my indoor oven, so this time I'm going to whip up some New York-style pies and a Roman-style pan pizza. Nice. I'm going to try out the the dough recipe that you sent me uh, this weekend. Nice. We're going to do some some homemade pizzas with, nice. with the kids. Nice. Well, uh, if you need any tips... Well, I just like pizza. Good, bad, or ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I love eating pizza. But I think I like making it just as much. Like, yeah. I'm just all things pizza for me. Nice. Yeah. Dude, I can't wait till one day. Maybe if you come down here in the D.C. area pretty soon. 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 I'm moving down there soon. Yes, yes. We can be making some pizzas together. It sounds great. And making some podcasts together. We can pizza and podcast. <laughs> all right, but the people don't care about that. You know what they no. should care about, though? Some good news. Tell them the great news, Mike. Great news, man. Kyle has signed a three-book contract. He will be with us and providing all things wrapped to us at awesome. least at least through 2023. So we are set, and we have some good news to come out of 2020 for once. Some great news to come out of 2020. I mean, so well-earned. The Real Book Spy broke the news uh, yesterday, and we are grateful to hear it. I'm excited, too. I was reading the, the report from the real book spy and Kyle really seems to say a few things that uh, prove he's, he's the right guy and this is nothing new, but in his own words, he said, quote, I see the series tracking the massive real world geopolitical changes going on in a way that allows me to keep throwing new challenges at Mitch. The trend of countries becoming more insular and perhaps less democratic creates interesting opportunities, particularly for internal threats. Perfect. Well, I mean, man for the definitely, job. yeah. I mean, you could definitely see that in Lethal Agent, that like beginning to really mimic, you know, real world events, and then even predict. You know, I don't think he did that on purpose, but you know, predict real world events. But yeah, I'm excited to see you know Mitch getting thrown new challenges. That was one of my favorite things from Lethal Agent. So, yep. And Kyle's done it so well. I mean. Absolutely. He, we all knew he was getting the contract, deserved it, and it's great to hear that it's uh, it's been inked. Yes. Yep. So, because we're so excited for this you know, new announcement, we want to do something special this month, and we're going to give out two autographed, non-wrap Kyle Mill books to honor Kyle Mills getting a new three-book deal. So we'll be picking and announcing the winners towards the end of the month on, on our August uh, 24th podcast. So be sure to stay tuned. So we're going to do a little bit differently, whereas one of the books we're going to be giving out to anyone, people who follow us on Twitter, on our Facebook page, and it's going to be Kyle's first book ever, uh, an autographed copy of Rising Phoenix. Um, and this is the first book in the Mark Beeman series, and it's from 1997. Both me and Mike have read this book. I, I really liked it. So it's, it's a little bit old, but, you know, it's it's signed copy of his first book, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, this book has a really cool premise. It was really exciting. 
and it's about a deadly plague that strikes America's cities, but the plague is not what you thought would think it is. As the book summary from KyleMills.com says, Hospital ERs are jammed. Chaos reigns in the streets. Men and women are dropping like flies. Someone has taken the war on drugs into their own hands and poisoned the narcotic supply. And the most chilling of all, the majority of Americans actually approve. Mark Beeman, FBI agent, is brought in and given the thankless task of discovering who's behind the full-page ads that have suddenly appeared in newspapers across the country, giving drug addicts a simple choice, quit or die. I mean, that was that was a pretty exciting premise. What happens when the narcotics supply coming into the U.S. is poisoned and you can randomly die if you're addicted? Ozark, anybody? <laughs> oh, is that, what it's, is that what it's about? I've never watched it. Oh, yeah, there's a, a subplot in Ozark in this latest season, but anyways. <laughs> they were reading some 1997 Kyle Mills when they wrote <laughs> yeah. that screenplay. And for this giveaway, we are going to open it up to any of our Twitter followers who retweet or reply to our post announcing the giveaway. And anyone in our Facebook group on No Limits, a Mitrap podcast group on Facebook, you just have to simply like our post about the giveaway. So, Chris, by the way, I don't know if you check the Facebook group. We have 99 members, so we are pretty close to that tipping point of getting 100 um, nice. on our Facebook group. Yep. And so anyone who likes the announcement about the giveaway will be automatically entered. Very cool. And then so the second book we're going to be giving away, uh, which will be for our Patreon-only uh, giveaway for the month of August, is going to be Burn Factor, which is Kyle's first standalone novel, not part of the Mark Beeman uh, or Covert One series that he's, he's tied to. And this was published in 2001. Yeah, so also the book summary for this one, Burn Factor, from KyleMills.com, quote, It's a serial killer book that wasn't about a serial killer. What if there was a murderous psychopath who was so important to the government that they would actually cover up his crimes? And what if a young computer programmer working on the FBI's DNA system found out about the conspiracy? Ooh, I gotta read that one. Yeah, Kyle's first standalone novel. Haven't read that yet. Yeah, and this giveaway is gonna be for our Patreon supporters only. We are so happy you guys are still with us, and thank you for your patronage. You are the reason why we are able to make this a weekly podcast and commit to four episodes a month. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, speaking of uh, Patreons, we got to welcome our newest special agent, Peggy G, who you can find on Twitter at blue underscore unicorn 28. And this is kind of exciting because uh, she's tuning us all the way from Germany. Nice. So our we're, we're, you know international here at, at this podcast i think we also have a listener from australia philippines now we have one for germany philippines New Zealand, yes. india boom we are international and those are not just data points i've actually spoken to or i should say tweeted with our listener from new zealand our listeners in india and philippines so you know it's actually real people downloading and listening not just a, a data point or a statistic <laughs> nice nice yeah and so your Mitrab Pod bookmark and sticker, they're in the mail. And who knows how long international shipping's <laughs> taken, but you you should get those soon. I wonder if Customs is, you know, commandeering any Mitrap Pod swag trying to get through the mail. Uh, you know, well, kind of like a Carvel ice cream cake. Yeah, they're long story, but yeah, they're <laughs> holding up my ice cream cake to a to a friend. 
<laughs> Who ships ice cream internationally during a pandemic? Mark Beeman. Mark Beeman's going to be knocking on your door. <laughs> you know, it's got some anthrax in it or something. I don't Did know. Did you poison the Carvel ice cream supply in the global food industry? I wanted to pull a halabi, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we want to say a big thank you to all the listeners. And, you know, you too can join this elite group, um, become a special agent of the show, just like Peggy G, Catherine C, Ray M, Jeff P, just by clicking that little orange uh, support us button on Patreon, um, and that's on our MitchRapPod.com. Yeah, and so today, let's get into it. We are bringing to you the second half of our summary of Lethal Agent, the most recent novel by Kyle Mills, his fifth and the 18th in the Mitch Rapp series. This is such an action-packed book. Our summary went a little long, so we broke it into two parts. And then after this week, we're bringing you part three next week, which is where Chris and I will share a thematic and topical discussion, as well as our final ratings and review of the book. Right. Cool. So we also chose uh, to do Lethal Agent this month in August as a way to get ready for Total Power, dropping on September 15th. Total Power does pick up shortly after the ending of Lethal Agent, so great way to refresh yourself here one month before the release of the next Mitch Rapp book. Yes. All right, let's get into it. And so the book, I think at this point, really takes a hard pivot to a new concept and we start finding out more about the drug cartels and how this story is going to shift from Yemen and the Middle East very quickly to Mexico. Um, Oh, and we, we really haven't, have we ever seen Mitch undercover undercover like this where he's like full blown? I mean, there is that scene where he goes into Iraq and he's like undercover as, um, you know, a turned ISIS fighter. Um, but this is like hardcore, you know, like he has to do this extensive backstory. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think this is a lot more extensive, like you said. And it's fully embedded to the point where he has to, and we're going to talk about this, even bring in Claudia and Steven to tear down his entire right. life, his real life. That has to be completely broke down to make the cover more realistic. Yeah. So I think in terms of overturning his entire life story just to go undercover in this deep a way has never happened. Uh, but it definitely seems like an environment where he's going to thrive. Right. Yeah. And so we learn about the drug cartels when a DEA agent is hiding in the trunk of a car in a parking garage at San Ysidro Mall in Southern California. He's new on the job. This is his first real mission, and he's going to make a drug bust as a van in the parking garage is going to enter an elevator that goes to a secret drug tunnel that the cartels actually installed because they were working with a corrupt construction agency building this mall, and it's so close to the border that the cartels were able to use their influence, use their money to build one of the most high-tech tunnels uh, across the border. Yeah, it sounded really high-tech. It was so high-tech that the only way... The U.S. government and the CIA knew about it was a tip from NASA. They actually had NASA satellites in space 
detect, um, I guess, a hollow cavity underground. Right. And that clued in uh, the DEA about the drug tunnel. And without NASA satellites picking this up, it sounded like it was a really well-protected, well-hidden, uh, you know, way across the border. Right. So we then cut to Kennedy. We really don't see much of Kennedy in this book. We only really see her in terms of her uh, interactions with Christine Barnett and and her interactions at the White House with the, with the president. And so we have this interaction between DEA head, Barnett, Gary Statham, the military infectious disease guy, and then... So essentially, Halabi has created this mastermind preoccupying the government with this anthrax scheme, really trying to pivot them away from his actual scheme, but they haven't really figured this out yet. But Irene has a suspicion here. This is, is again, proving how smart Irene is. She has a a suspicion here that something is up with this anthrax production, and this is not the real thing. He's, He's trying to instill fear. She doesn't quite know what the what the end game is, but she knows that this is the anthrax is not the end game here. Yeah. And she deduces that because of Statham's analysis of an anthrax attack and how it's so low in numbers right. and the chatter they're seeing and what Halabi is capable of doesn't match. Maybe I think they estimate a couple of hundred deaths or maybe a hundred deaths at most because anthrax isn't really airborne on its own. You need a vehicle through which to to push it and it's still very hard to make sure the people around ingest it i think maybe you would know more but because it's heavy and so it would settle and not stay airborne no, I, I think like it it also has to do with yeah well you have to like make sure it gets into the i guess like the best case Your scenario respiratory would be to, system yeah to put it into a ventilation system yep but you also need people because anthrax has we have medicines to quickly yep. combat this so you need people to just be not diligent and you know, go to their doctors to, and it could be easily diagnosed, you know. And more easily treated if we're at the ready. And since we already know about this happening, because Halabi has produced the propaganda videos saying that he's making anthrax, Kennedy thinks something's fishy, because automatically Halabi would know we would just ramp up production of the, the drug, you know, to combat its effects. And, well, so because Kennedy figures this out, she actually hopes Alexander will will do something more aggressive to stop Halabi thinking that something else is on the table. But being the election year, you know, that's right. a theme throughout the book. <laughs> yes. Alexander is short on political capital. He doesn't want any fireworks going off. He actually agrees with Barnett and wants to rein in rap. He wants to say, Mitch, let's not have a firestorm. Let's let the DEA do their job. Let's let the CIA official employees and network do their job. And he actually sends... Um, FBI agents. Agents, yeah. Agents out to, to watch Rap and make sure he stays at his house in Manassas. Until they find out that in that tunnel, the DEA agent who caught the drug cartels moving a shipment was actually transporting anthrax. And right. we, got, we got lucky, right? They do a random test on the drug samples just to do a chemical analysis, and they happen to prick the bag of anthrax stuck in the middle of the shipment. And boom, there we go. You know, it's it has to be all in now. The anthrax was almost shipped across the border. And a hesitant Alexander and a curious Kennedy agree that rap should be brought in. And this this is kind of cool. Rap's conversation with Alexander about the uh, his demands of getting back in. Yeah, I, I thought, well, one... 
it's interesting because right before this, he's having this argument with Claudia, and it's about this long-standing argument. Like we we just did the third book in the series, or the 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 second book in the series, right? The third option, and he's already he wants to get out. Now we're in book nineteen of the series, or eighteen of the series. Sorry, yeah, um, years later. Years later, and Claudia wants him to get out. So like this is a recurrent theme over time. He ignores the president's phone call. FBI agent comes and says, answer the, answer the phone call. It's the president. He answers it and says, well, what do you want? Claudia's like, he doesn't want your fucking job. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, then, I think Claudia's argument, though, is shaped a little differently now because yeah, with the, it's the he presidential served his time. Yeah, with the presidential transition coming up and a new administration, with politics being so divisive, with uh, CIA and operations and even just military and law enforcement in general kind of not having this credibility anymore in the public's eye, you know, they're badmouthed quite often. Claudia saying, Mitch, you gave your time to America, but it's going to be a different America that is, doesn't value what you did anymore. Right. And so we might as well get out to my house I have in South Africa before that America turns on you. And that's that's an interesting conversation, a different different way Claudia phrases it this True. time. So eventually Rap says he'll do it on one stipulation. He wants a full pardon, and he wants a letter saying that the president knew everything he was about to do and agreed with it. He like wants it, and he buries it somewhere, right? That That's his stipulation. And at first, Alexander is hesitant, but then he eventually you know, gives in. Yeah, and the, <laughs> we get one of the best lines here when Claudia is repeating the message over the phone about the pardon. She's trying to tell Rap what the pardon says, and she gives this quote that Scott told her. So Coleman was helping out, burying the pardon, oh, right. making sure it's hidden. And maybe it was George Goodell, but how he delivers this line was perfect. Claudia says to Rap, I don't know what it means, but Scott said... You can drive by a group of nuns and walk. And Claudia doesn't get what that means. And just You can do a drive-by on a group of nuns and you, get off. Yeah, You gun down the group of nuns, and this pardon is enough to let you walk. You know, it's that powerful. But Claudia's, like, in the dark because of her French accent. And right. the way George Goodell pronounces that line, the way he states it shows that the, the translation isn't there and Claudia doesn't get it. But Rap's like, yep. I get it. Good. And Alexander got the job done. I thought that was a great line. You can drive by a group of nuns and walk. That was, I'm going to use that (laughs) in the future. I don't know about that. (laughs) So we then, that phone call is happening. Mitch is in California, sitting on a hood of a car, getting ready to meet with the DEA. And we get, I think one of the best scenes of of this novel is interaction with not only the cartel members, but the DEA agents. And so he has his he has his pardon. He goes in and he interrogates the cartel members pretty gruesomely. I like how he uses like a specially designed doorstop to prevent like the people from coming inside. He just has that in his pocket, just pulls it out, jams right. it under the door. <laughs> and so he knows that like the one guy who's crazy is not going to talk. So he uses him as leverage to get the other guy to talk. Figures out he shoots him right the first guy. He first cuts off his hand. Yes, that's right. With the bolt cutters. Uh, with the bolt cutters. Like, yes. he pretends like he's going to cut off the handcuffs, but then slips and cuts yes. the hand. And Oops. that triggers the DEA agents outside to, like, 
go ape shit. But yeah, he, he interrogates them, gets the information he needs. Well, what he's trying to find out is who hired, which cartel they work for, and who hired them to ship the anthrax. Right. Because if he can find out which cartel got the anthrax, he would know. Well, he knows kind of what is... cartel it is, though. Yeah, and he'll know who, though, is talking to Halabi. Right. Yeah, that, w- that was a great scene. But then his, his fight with the DEA agents is really interesting in the sense that he, you know, full on shoots them. And he even admits that he didn't know it was going to, like, work. He, he was hoping they were wearing armor. He didn't want to hurt the guys. Right. But to go undercover, he had to make it seem real. Mm-hmm. And because he knows this drone, this, like, model plane is watching him. So he needs to make this whole ruse work that he's stealing the drugs, he's going rogue. Yeah, and then he drives to this drug house where he knows he's going to get ambushed because he's put out a word that he wants to sell this, these drugs, he, you know, where where he can be found. Two days after waiting, finally, this group of... I, I When he was describing the scene and, and the music, I imagined, like, you know, some truck rolling up, screaming, playing La Cucaracha or something, you know, <laughs> ba-da-da-da-na, ba-da-da-da-na. And then they just... There's no organization. They shoot up the entire house. Yep. Just spray it down. Spray it down. And meanwhile, he's laughing because he set up all these little booby traps. I thought this yep. was great. And isn't he hiding out in the yard somewhere? Yeah, he's like, I wish I had popcorn. Yeah. Like, he only, he had, like, some snack. He's like, I should have had popcorn to watch yep. this. Yep. That was great. Then once all the guys are downed, he, even bolder, he jumps in their car and gets on one of their cell phones. Yes. I think he keeps the music playing, too. <laughs> So, and then he, he, he has calls a phone call. He calls Esparza, and he's so bold, he asks him for a job and says... I'm uh, desperate, man. Like, and so Esparza says, come to Mexico. Well, this is where Esparza wants to know if Rap's being up front with him, and the scheme is so big that they got Claudia to forge all these documents and basically say that he is now persona non grata in the u.s like the u.s government caught him in a bunch of scandals financial scandals right. it's Stephen, right his brother his brother Stephen, who's the genius right the the digital and financial genius they have Stephen drain all his bank accounts make it look like he was involved in embezzlement and you know ripping off military and cia contracts and so raps tells esparza look they caught me i'm desperate i've got skills i could work for you and Esparza checks, does a background check, and it all checked out. Stephen and Claudia made the the undercover story, you know, watertight. Is that the word? Right. Airtight, waterproof. Air, airtight, waterproof, airtight. airtight. Waterproof. There you go. <laughs> so he's he's fully undercover now with with the cartel boss. Yeah, I thought it was a nice little touch. Claudia runs off with Scott, drains all of his, and takes the rest of his money. Yeah, he even says Claudia's with my best friend now. <laughs> Esparza buys it, though. Yeah, he does. While all that is happening, we have a series of of cutbacks to both Barnett and Gray discussing, you know, how to proceed. They decide to eventually leak the information. They're talking about potentially this decision that they ultimately will to leak the information that Anthrax did get over the border. And she states that she's comfortable letting 100 people die if the leaks gets out instead of letting... He doesn't, she doesn't want the president to you know, get a win by catching Halabi, which was... She wants the president and Irene and Mitch to take the hit for letting the drugs in, even if they get dispersed. She doesn't care. 
She just right. doesn't want to see them on the front paper, you know, the cover of the papers, Getting you know, s- saying that they stopped the terrorist attack because that would give Alexander's party a lot of political capital. Right. right. And meanwhile, like Irene and even the DEA agent, the head of the DEA, like they know he has a he knows what would go into making a backstory in order to infiltrate, you know, the cartel. And so he's not stupid that, you know. But Barnett is blinded by it. She thinks that a rap stole really the drugs. The, yeah, stole the drugs. Embezzled is, is going money. Crazy. Yeah, she loves it. Yeah, she's playing into it. She's just feeding into rap. You know. Yeah. The DEA agent who rap shot is kind of cool with it, right? He's like, oh yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense. He knew I had a vest, so he wasn't trying to kill me. But in the end, yeah. He in the end because they all he figured out that like, oh yeah, they're in the in the moment they're they're pissed, but like I think the wood the DEA hit. Yeah. In charge of the DA, he he realizes like what's going on here, and so it's then right after this we get Halabi letting us in on like we're finally learning that he did you know he saved one survivor from the clinic, and that he's going to use this highly infectious jars disease to smuggle people in through Mexico. He expresses all of this you know the death toll that can wipe up a lot of cities, and then the vast economic fallout, which in present times is. You know, we're not getting the death toll, but we are getting the economic fallout, so... Yes, we are. It's kind of and creepy. I, I think he's telling all that to Bertrand, the French yeah. scientist who was making him the anthrax. He's now telling him, ha, you were part of the ruse the whole time. Here's my real here's my real plan. And Bertrand is freaked out. He's like, that would do exactly what you want it to do. Like, the science checks out. And Halabi's like, oh, I know. Yeah. But now I think... My favorite part of the book, and some perhaps one of the most memorable scenes in yeah. all of rap, comes now that he's in Mexico. He's going to meet Carlos Esparza at his home, and he's still trying to get a job. And he even ups the ante by, by telling Carlos, look, if you hire me, I hear you're working with some Arabs. They want to get some stuff across the border. I know that part of the world. Actually, no one knows it better than me. I not only speak Arabic, but I speak fluent Arabic in different dialects. Right. And he goes, I, I would know their operations in and out, and so I can really be an upper hand in negotiations for you talking to the Arabs. Man, that's going to work. Esparza's going to buy that. Esparza's right-hand man is skeptical, and he's kind of yes. warning him to not get into this. But Esparza's playing with, like, if he's as good as we know where he says he is, or if he's as good as we know he is, and if he's as desperate as he says he is, why not use him for a little while? And especially like the series of things that he goes through. As Barza locks him up in this cage behind the house, just out of sight, and says, give me some time to look this over, have my people check into it. Eventually, one of the guards comes out to check on Rap. Rap draws him closer, gets him to come up to the cage. I think he, he, says, he starts mouthing off. He, he has a little bit of Spanish to tick off the guy. So the guy comes to the cage and starts poking Rap. He's like enraged. Uh, he wants to torture him. Rap grabs him closer, kills him, and as Rap is thinking, "How the hell do I get out of this cage?" Oh right. The best scene in the book, maybe he the recent fibula, books. Right. He he has nothing to pick the lock. No metallic items. He carves down the dude's fibula to make a lock pick. He uses the dude's bone to pick a lock. Not only that, he goes into the house. 
He gets into Carlos's closet, puts on his expensive clothes, even orders breakfast from the maid. He talks to the maid. And then he sits down on the balcony with Esparza. And the woman brings him his food. (laughs) That was great. That that was like, I I could see that happening in a movie. You know, that's how vivid that was. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. Well, Esparza says he'll hire him. The cover story checked out. He's going to allow him to stay in the house. And um, he just has one more way to to vet and feel wrap out. He's going to put him through this test. Yeah, this test was interesting. At first, I thought this was kind of like a diversion, which was a little unnecessary. Yeah, I, but... I didn't think it needed to be. I don't know. This is the one part I thought of the this part of the book where I was like, eh, does, does this really need to happen? I'm with you on that. But then again, the other side is, is he really going to accept this guy into his cartel, which I'm sure is very secretly guarded that easily? It was, It's a test, basically, to see if Rap is worthy of the job by dropping him at a place 12 miles away in the middle of the jungle and giving him like a couple of minute head start and he has to get to this village in a restaurant in the middle of nowhere. Right. And Esparza is going to send tons of guys after him. He's going to use dogs. And basically Esparza says, nobody can survive that 12 mile trip. My dogs, my men will hunt you down. And guess what? We get to kill you. End of story. We have no problem. But if you make it and you kill my guys, Maybe I have to hire you. You you are that good. I can use you. So it's like a, a what do you call it? High risk, high reward scenario. Yeah. It's a high risk taking rap on, but if he does, there might be a high reward of getting more leverage with the Arabs. So as, as weird as it was, it's kind of cool because it rains, torrential rains, which rap knows will help uh, keep off the his scent from the dogs. It even causes a gushing river down the stream, and Rap blends in with a log, and he tracks the dogs, uh, tricks the dogs. The dogs don't even know he's floating under this log down the river. But then, a pretty cool part, he hides out in this barn up on a loft, and it's in the middle of a cocoa field, or a coca field, so cocaine plants. And he climbs up on this loft, and the dogs are, are nipping at him, and they're about to climb up this ladder to get to him. And he douses them with cocaine. He grabs a package of cocaine. That was pretty funny. Flings it open, and the dogs just get super high. And he could walk right out with the dogs just falling over on themselves and passing out. So that was pretty cool. You know, I can't remember any other time we drugged animals to uh, as an escape plan in these books. In, in this series, no. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, while this scene was cool and to see like what rap could do, you know it did feel out of place also kind of like in the same in the, in the scene where he escapes from the isis fighters back in yemen there's a lot of off book things that i feel like in the past we would have we would have got to see mm-hmm. you know like we don't really we jump right from him leaving scott and his men to him walking into the cafe him walking into the cafe and then we heard a description from halabi and how like he's like burying himself a night and stuff like that similar here where we see him like floating down the river escaping the dogs to then showing up at the restaurant in in one of his like generals like gears yeah that he they knew he killed earlier but then like we get the, all the, the description of what he did from esparza or you know in, in esparza's mind and i feel like that's a new a new technique that we haven't really gotten before so let me ask you though if you're kyle 
and you have these two like rap escape scenes watching him operate, if you do the desert one in full detail and you take the pages to do it, it's kind of old hat. It's been True. done before. And so I guess I can appreciate more why he put so much detail into this chase scene in the Mexican jungle because it's something new. And as we know, one goal in writing this book for Kyle was put rap into a new scenario, new language, new geography, new culture. And so the second time I read the book, I came to appreciate the chase scene a lot more. But I felt I felt like you did initially as well. It just it just felt new. And I don't know. I don't necessarily feel positive or negative about it. I just, I, I could tell that it was new. You know, yeah. it was something different. Come on, dogs and cocaine. Yeah, yeah. And Rap always feared dogs. I mean, that came up. He always saw them as part of a mission that could make it go south real quick. That you, if you didn't deal with it. So again, it was another challenge we were putting him up against. Right. We then see the scene where Halabi has his soldiers infect themselves with Yars and then you know finally kills Bertrand essentially igniting you know his plan and I thought it was interesting here the the facts you know he's talking a lot about the Spanish flu and obviously this is both the SARS outbreak and the Spanish flu uh, were big you know they were the models topics yeah exactly for for this disease and you know obviously we're in global pandemic right now, which I don't think Kyle realized was going to happen when he was writing this book. Or did he? But it's, or, or did he? We can ask him that question maybe in the future. <laughs> um, so I haven't, I haven't really you know, looked into the Spanish flu before, so I thought it was interesting just hearing the facts and how you know Spanish flu started in, in Kansas City in military bases during the war, and that the medical community really urged wearing masks. People should be wearing masks. And actually at that time, probably because there's not, there wasn't social media and Twitter and all this bullshit, um, <laughs> the people actually listened and they wore masks. And, you know, I guess wartime people were much more um, perceptive to, they were hardened down. They're like, we have, they had stuff to do. So they, this was just another thing that they followed along. For the war effort. For the war effort. Very different to now. It's a, it's a interesting reading about this. And I've, after reading this, I went then went into you know more specifics about the Spanish flu and how the community reacted. Yeah. People in the past were much more you know we just we'll take this battle and we'll fight it. Whereas now people want to argue about whether or not we should wear a fucking mask. Yep. Yeah. Now that the anthrax has been lost and the Americans seized it, Esparza's cartel is kind of falling out of sorts with their Arab contact. Right. And so that the Arabs say they're going to send some men to oversee the operation of a second shipment. Yeah, they don't want to lose their goods this time. And Esparza's like, yo, chill. You know, this happens when we cross the border. Sometimes things go south, but we, we got you. It's the price of doing business. You're going to lose some goods. Little does he know they lost anthrax, and now the American government is onto them. But when Rap sees the guys come into the barn, this is where the story really picks up. He's watching them, I think, offload from a truck and go into a barn where they're going to stay overnight. And the the contact, who's Mohammed Atia, tells Esparza, keep your men 20 yards away. No right. one goes near them. They can't use the house. They can't use the facilities. 
that totally stay away. And Rap is looking at these people and he's like, they're sick. They don't look like operators. They are not going to be involved in drug operations. He's like, who the hell are these people? Something's fishy. And it clicks to him. And then you kind of get, when I was reading it and, or listening to George Goodell and when he read it, it got the sense of like, rap was scared there for a moment. You know, like, He's like, oh shit! You know, most things Rap can just he can deal with, and he's not. I've never really seen Rap scared, but in this moment, he's like, fuck. Yep. This is this is bad. Some bad, some bad well, shit. He, you know, he was in Yemen too, so he got all right, the briefings so he, from Statham about how important their PPE was and how right, they couldn't exactly. touch or interact in any way in this exactly. Yemeni village, and now he's seeing these infected people in the heart of Mexico. And he's like, oh, crap. He, he understands what could happen. Yeah. yeah. He understands what can happen. And he goes to investigate in this barn. And he's like jerry-rigging some protective equipment so he's not going to breathe anything. But he enters the barn and they're all gone. And he starts right. smelling smoke. He's like, what the hell is happening? The story really ramps up here. I don't know if you felt that way. But this thing oh, picks no, it, up pace. I felt like the last, I don't know, third to a little bit less than a third of the book. Yeah. It just, it read really fast. It did. So from this point, we, we get rap. He's figured out, he's trying to figure out that where these people are going, trying to get to uh, this information to Irene. Meanwhile, because of the leak that Barnett has, has set out, Halabi then informs or like, you know, the media posts stuff about this. So the cartel and Esparza know that, they were dealing with uh, anthrax and therefore they it clicks oh why would Mitch Rapp this CIA counterterrorism uh, guy be here oh because we were dealing with freaking people who gave us anthrax so then they're like we gotta kill him and then you know he ends up escaping he ends up torturing you know the, the whole scene where he captures Esparza was was was, was kind of cool yeah but like Esparza was in the end was just like this he was an interesting character but he didn't scare you. No, very throwaway kind of character. And plus, he's a big coward when Rap, I think he takes him into a car and he's trying to interrogate and find out where were you bringing those drugs? You know, who, where were who you going to meet up with? the coyotes? With? Yeah. The coyotes where were the coyotes you were going to meet up with to get you across the border? I need to know. Esparza basically cowers out and yeah. Rap hits the road. And man, now we get to, this might be my second favorite scene of the book for yeah, sure. Yeah, my second favorite scene, yep. The ending really picks up where it's this race to the border. So you have the infected terrorists in a truck driven by their point guy, Mohammed Atia. He's hoping to meet up with the coyotes who will know how to cross the border. Rap is trying to chase them, and he's calling in backup now. So he brings in the crew. Coleman gets all the boys on board. Uh, Irene is giving a little bit of what she can in support, but Scott basically rounds up a helicopter, and Bruno McGraw comes in, uh, Joe Maslick comes in, Charlie Wicker comes in, and that's the crew. These guys basically have to stop a truck of the Yars virus from getting across the border. And so they identify the truck eventually, and they don't know how to stop it. And at that moment, due to the leak, screw Christine Barnett, because of the damn leak, Halabi and Atia realized word is out there that there's more going on than just anthrax. You know, the government knows about it. The U.S. is going to be shutting down the border. 
And so they basically say, you know what? We got to give us Mexico. Yeah. Mexico. Mexico found out about it because Barnett uh, leaked to the Mexican government. And so now the Mexican authorities are going to stop the truck and close down the border. And so they say, screw it. Change of plans. We wanted this thing to start in America to make America the, the hotbed of the virus outbreak and blame them. But we're just going to go to the nearest urban population center and do it anyway. Because you know what? One country gets infected. The rest of the world's going down with them. I think they, they make a hard turn towards Monterey, if I'm not mistaken, I think is the nearby city. Yep. And Rap and the crew realize this. They go, he's not going for the border anymore. He's going through a city. So now it's up to them to stop this. They can't get to the border and rely on the CIA or the military, you know, taking it from there. Or, excuse me, Customs and Border Patrol taking it from there. Man, this is an awesome scene. Um, The big chase. You basically have Scott in a helicopter giving intel on the truck. You have Bruno, Maz, and Wicker in these trucks trying to uh, give the right of way to Rap to get in there. And Rap commandeers another semi. So he's in a huge truck chasing another truck. And eventually he is able to corner them. He's able to stop them. He's able to knock them off the road. Statham warns, don't tip that truck. Even Rap is like, bring in a military strike. Irene, can you get right, authorization? No, can you strike them? They have to get it over the border because it, even if they just a military, but even if like they could get a military strike, they don't know, you know, what's going to happen when they explode that thing. So they, they have yeah. to get it across the border. But I mean, how cool is this? Statham says, it's a frozen food truck. I think it was meat. I think it was chicken. Yeah. And he's like, look, if we explode that or if you tip that over and that gets out, we already know bats can transmit the virus. What wild animals are going to pick up bits of the chicken meat and the scraps of blood? We don't know if right. that's infected. Right. And so if you had all these birds picking at this meat and any human carcasses also that in the blood, this virus could spread just as badly as if it was human to human contact. And so Statham's like, we got to get that truck into the U.S. and quarantine it. Right. And so Rap basically kills Atia, gets his blood all over him, and has to go into the driver's seat and basically take control of this truck. He takes some antibiotics real quick. It, even though, <laughs> even though he knows, he knows they'll do nothing. I guess that's like a placebo, right? He's just trying yeah. to placate himself. He pops yeah. those antibiotics a few times like, God, please let this work. He's, I guess he's really like helpless at that point, you know? Like we've never yeah. seen him with a disease, something on the micro level that can stop rap. And he knows this is going to do it. I just have to complete the mission here and now. I think it's really cool that he just does it. You know, he, he realizes that he could die. There's like a, a 50% chance of, of dying from this disease. I think that's what they say. Or it might even be higher. But yeah. He just he goes into it and he want, like he went into the barn yep. to burn it down. Uh. He also like before that. Meanwhile, he he puts anthrax down the drain. Like that's right, that's right. Using like some preliminary PPE bullshit, you know. Then then he goes to the barn, and then he goes into Atia and you know gets all of his blood on him, and then goes into the truck and, drive and then it. drives it over the border. Yeah, yeah it, you know, Statham and his guys come in, lock it down, and uh, yeah, then we cut to well, Coleman in the hospital. Coleman and the boys do some cool stuff. I think they have one of them ram a couple of cop cars out oh, of the yes. way. You know, because the federales are onto them, and the Mexican law enforcement heard about this leak from the Barnett camp and is trying to stop it themselves. Another one, I think somebody takes an Maslik maybe takes an RPG and blows up a cop car to clear the way. And so Rap's re- weaving between these different blown up and rammed cop. I think one, 
two cop cars are facing each other and he puts the truck between them and drives forward and backward, forward and backward to nudge these trucks wide enough right. to let rap drive through. So pretty cool stuff. And then he busts through the border. That was a cool scene. Yeah. I just love that action. That was yeah. nonstop for a hundred pages or so. Yeah. That was probably, you know, besides that, I like, I really like the DA scene and him going, beginning to go undercover, but I really enjoyed this whole, the ending, you know, once, once Atia gets to Asparza's house, then like, you know, it just nonstop action. Yep. So the truck is stopped on the safe side. They put a bubble over it, hundred percent quarantine, but there's one infected person rap. Right. We finish with rap. We see him at uh, the hospital at Fort Detrick, Maryland, which is where they do all the crazy infectious disease Stuff there's some really crazy stuff that if you read about Fort Detrick, Maryland, that has gone on there. Did you you knew about this beforehand? Because I had no idea. Yeah, one of my friends from Catholic, his uh, her dad is a PhD doctor there. Wow. Okay. Uh, they do a bunch of experimental stuff for the military. Wow. It would make sense that they put rap there in quarantine. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Do they collaborate with NIH or other parts of the government, or is it purely I, DOD? Operation. I imagine they probably collaborate with the CDC. CDC, yeah, that's right. I know, like, at Fort Detrick, there are a few... There's only, like, three strains of smallpox, like, mm. frozen in the world. They I have think them. one's in one's in Russia, one's in Atlanta, and then one's in at Fort Detrick, yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so. there it is with rap on the mend you know we actually have no idea if he's going to recover or not with such a deadly virus and almost nothing you can do so yeah oh and when they were doing the chase scene he got on a phone call long enough to keep halabi on the line and they were able to trace the call back at the cia he was pretending the signal was going in and out he was trying to pretend he was muhammad atia and they got a, a trace on Halabi, who was hiding out in a new cave system in Somalia. Right. And uh, that's going to be important because our friend Coleman, he he finishes the job. Did you like that ending? I, I did. I wanted Rap to kill him, but it was it was nice to see Scott get back in the action, especially because the last few couple books, you know, Scott got injured, has been out of the game, and now he, he gets the big kill at the end. I love seeing Scott do that. And he informed Rap by going to his hospital bed outside the glass holding up a picture of Halabi's face blown open and said, don't worry, Mitch. I told him it was from you. I was wondering about Barnett and how she would pay the price because we came full circle with Coleman closing the loop on Halabi because Rap couldn't. I was wondering, are we going to have to wait till the next book to find out one? Does Rap recover? Right. Right. I thought that would have been a bold move to not let us know. And two... Does Barnett stay in the game, or does she get found out, and does she still have a shot at the election? Well, the epilogue brings it to a nice close for us, yep. with a rap showing up in her house, even though it's heavily guarded as a presidential candidate by Secret Service. Rap, of course, knows them all, and they know him, and he gets inside the house, and he's sitting there waiting for Barnett, and he has a tape. He got a tape recording from Chief of Staff Gray, showing how batshit crazy she was, how she went off the deep end, and more importantly, how she leaked national security details that to the Mexicans that could have interfered with national security and stopping either an anthrax attack and or a pandemic. Because of that, Rap says, you only have one option. 
<laughs> if you stay alive, I play the tape, and you spend the rest of your life knowing I'm out there and going to get you. So Rap tosses her a bottle of pills and says, you know what to do. Take the easy way out. And she said they went down rather easily. And we end our book. That's it. Pretty good book. That was a good one. Right. I like that. I liked it. I liked it. So what are we going to do next episode, Chris? Right. So if you want to join us for our next episode, we're going to wrap up our discussion on Lethal Agent by digging into some key themes uh, that we, we liked about this book, get into our winners and losers, as well as give you our final rating and find out you know what we thought of this uh, 18th installation in the series and how it holds up against the rest of the books. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review us using your favorite podcasting platform. You can find us online at midtrappod.com or using our Twitter handle at midtrappod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.